0: Welcome back, our fellow patriots, to the Patriot Lessons American History and Civics podcast. I am Judge Michael Warren, and author of America's Survival Guide and co-founder of Patriot Week. Before we plunge into our episode, I want to thank you again for your amazing patience in waiting for its release. As you know, I'm an Oakland County, Michigan Circuit Court judge, and I've served for nearly 20 years. This last year, I was running for higher office. We ran one heck of a strong campaign— garnering over 300,000 votes, but I fell short. Despite the outcome, it was truly an amazing experience, and perhaps we will address the campaign in a future episode. From your perspective, you can be relieved that I will be redoubling my efforts on Patriot Week, which means I'm returning to our Patriot Lessons podcast with renewed zeal. Our other two tremendous Patriot narrators, who did no such thing as running for a campaign, our Mike Gerard Skanechny, who runs his own podcasting services company, and bombastic Brent Bassett, IT sales guru and bartender extraordinaire. Soon we'll be returning to the Constitution, but today we will be reviewing the most American of all holidays, Thanksgiving. We will be rebroadcasting our prior episode covering this topic. If you missed this before, you're going to really enjoy it. If you heard it a year ago, well, it has been a year, so listen with new ears. In this special episode, we will be reviewing its origins, development, history, celebrations, and myths. We all probably have some kind of uh, elementary sense of Thanksgiving's origins and enjoy the feast and festivities, but now you will hear the real story, which happens to be much more fascinating than those simple tales. Before we begin, I want to thank spectacular Sheila Guerin and enchanting Aaron Rossino for all your support. Welcome back, my fellow patriots. To put Thanksgiving in its proper frame, I'm going to ask you to stop for a second and say Thanksgiving. If you can, say it out loud and think the thought. Thanksgiving. If you're like me, until you really break it out this way, it kind of loses its meaning. Like Christmas. Break that out and you get Christ Mass. Thanksgiving. The idea of giving thanks is an ancient concept at least with regard to Western civilization, and it is at the heart of biblical teaching. Let's approach a few passages from Scripture. I begin with the King James Version of the Bible. Thessalonians 5.16-18 Rejoice everymore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Colossians 2-7 Rooted, and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Psalm 104. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving, and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him, and bless His name. Colossians 4.2. Continue in prayer, and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Psalm 92. It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord, and the New American Bible, that is the Catholic Bible, of Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. This attitude of giving thanks was deeply rooted in England well before the colonial period. To trace the origins of thanksgiving in America, we could go back over 2,000 years to a humble carpenter but that is just a bit too much for this single episode. So we will be a bit less ambitious and begin, oh, just 1,500 years ago. Judge,
1: you can't do this to the audience. Not 1,500 years!
0: Don't worry, Bombastic Brent. This would be much faster than you might otherwise expect, as you might or might not remember from your European history class. Okay, let's face it, you almost certainly didn't learn that almost all the Anglo-Saxons in Europe were pagans until Pope Gregory I sent missionaries, led by Augustine, to England. After the passage of many decades, most in the realm converted. England remained part of the universal Catholic Church for centuries. But then, King Henry VIII couldn't produce a male heir. So he wanted to annul the marriage to his wife, Catherine of Aragon. But the Pope would not permit the annulment, So, King Henry VIII decided to dissolve England's ties to Rome and create a new denomination of Christianity, the Church of England, headed by, of course, King Henry VIII. Henry VIII annulled the marriage and then married Anne Boleyn in 1533, who soon gave birth to the future Queen Elizabeth. But afterwards, she only produced stillborn children. Frustrated that she produced no male heirs, Henry annulled the marriage it was easy enough to do, since he was now the head of the Church of England. And then he graciously set up Anne Boleyn with a small castle and entourage. No, actually, there is no diplomatic way to say this. Henry VIII had the wife he created a new church over beheaded. Now, to review the rest of the marriages.
1: Uh, Judge Warren, stay on topic. Thanksgiving?
0: Oh yes, Uh, thanks, Bombastic Brent. With the birth of the Church of England came dissenters. They believed that the Church of England was corrupt. We call many of these dissenters Puritans. They wanted to purify the Church. Originally, this term was one of contempt, created by their enemies, kind of like the term Yankees was used against the colonists. But then we embraced it. The Puritans followed the teachings of John Calvin. They considered many of the practices and doctrines of the Church of England to be ruinous holdovers from the Catholic Church. They rejected standardized prayers, believing that individuals should pray to God directly, not in rote or memorized standardized prayers, but from the heart. As such, they refused to use the Church of England's common book of prayers, because it was exactly that, a common group of prayers all in the church were expected to use. Among many other reforms, Puritans wanted to eliminate all the traditional holidays and feast days, leaving only days of thanksgivings. In light of their strong beliefs about independence, it is no wonder that the Puritans did not all agree on how to oppose the objectionable practices of the Church of England. Some wanted to reform the Church from within, but others chose to break away from the Church of England. They were labeled separatists, and King James I cracked down on the group. To escape persecution and imprisonment, they fled England and settled in Holland in 1608, where they were accorded religious liberty. Meanwhile in England, King James I, in an effort to stymie additional Puritan resistance, commissioned and published a new edition of the Bible that supported his view that the king should be supreme over religious matters. This became the official Bible of the Church of England under King James in 1611. Hence the famous King James Bible. In Highland, the Puritans looked to the new world to start a new life for three main reasons. Reason first. They realized that their children were growing up more Dutch than English. Reason second, they feared that Protestant Holland could be conquered by Catholic Spain. Reason third, they thought they might find an easier life in the colony. Spoiler alert, that third reason was simply delusional. They were able to convince a group of investors in England to finance their travel to the New World and obtained a patent from the king to settle under English lands and jurisdiction so long as the pilgrims' religion was not officially recognized. They intended to establish a new colony around modern-day New York or Virginia, These are the settlers we call the Pilgrims. Thus, about a century after Henry VIII became the head of the Church of England, 102 Puritans boarded the ship, the Mayflower, in Plymouth, England, on September 6, 1620, to colonize Virginia. Sailing conditions, including weather and navigational issues, forced them to settle in what they later called Plymouth Harbor in modern-day Massachusetts. Because they did not have legal authority to colonize New England, some of the colonists questioned how they were to be governed. On the spot, in the harbor, on the Mayflower, they created the Mayflower Compact. The theory of the Social Compact came to life. While English philosophers John Locke and Thomas Hobbes had theorized about the origins of primordial societies, America became a living experiment of the Social Compact. Perhaps for the first time in history, the Mayflower Compact placed into practice the Social Compact Theory of Government by a written agreement signed by the governed. The Mayflower Compact provided as follows.
1: In the name of God, amen. We, whose names are underwritten, do by these present solemnly and mutually in the presence of God and one another covenant and combine ourselves together into a civil body politic for our better ordering and preservation and furtherance of the ends aforesaid and by virtue hereof do enact. Constitute and frame such just and equal laws, ordinances, acts, constitutions, and offices from time to time as shall be thought most meet and convenient for the general good of the colony, unto which we promise all due submission and obedience.
0: The pilgrims then colonized Plymouth and changed the world. They also starved, were struck by disease, and died due to harsher than expected conditions. Many of the pilgrims called it. The Great Sickness. Whether it was a virulent strain of the flu, scurvy, malnutrition, exposure to harsh weather, too much salt from the seafood they ate, there are several theories, and they are all probably true, only about two weeks after arriving, pilgrims started falling ill. They were either stuck in a small common house that they had hastily constructed, or stayed on the Mayflower. Both places were overcrowded, breeding areas for easy spread of any disease. The reaper's harvest was indeed grim. Forty-six of 102 pilgrims perished during the first winter. After this brutal time, the next year, that is 1621, Wampanegan Indians, led by two brilliant persons, commonly known as Samoset and Squanto, began to share techniques for farming, hunting, fishing, and other survival skills, and the colonists were blessed with a very bountiful harvest. The colonists also made a truce with the Wampanegan. In light of the fabulous turn of fortune, Governor William Bradford declared that there should be a Thanksgiving commemoration. Thanksgiving Day historian Melanie Kirkpatrick describes what that meant in her excellent book, Thanksgiving, The Holiday at the Heart of the American Experience.
2: The Pilgrims brought with them from England a religious custom of marking days of Thanksgiving, along with their counterparts, days of fasting and humiliation. Days of thanksgiving, usually including a communal meal, were called in response to specific beneficences such as successful harvest, propitious weather, or military victory. Fast days were called to pray for God's help and guidance in times of trouble or difficulty. For the pilgrims then, a thanksgiving day was imbued with religious meaning and set aside for prayer and worship.
0: Yes! This is Thanksgiving as we often picture in our mind's eye. It was attended by Native Americans, and there was a bounty of food. There were great games, but actually it was better than we might imagine. The feast did not last just an afternoon. Not a day. Not two days. Oh no, it was three days. However, historians debate whether this is properly considered the origin of Thanksgiving because there is not much proof that the pilgrims actually called it that. Some claim that this was not a Thanksgiving as the Pilgrims would have considered it. Some historians argue that the Pilgrims celebrated the first Thanksgiving a couple of years later. The Pilgrims were facing grim conditions once again. Governor Bradford set the scene in his writings
2: notwithstanding all their great pains and industry and the great hopes of a large crop the lord seemed to blast and take away the same and to threaten furthermore sore famine unto us by a great drought which continued from third week in may till about the middle of july without any rain and great heat the corn began to wither away, and some of the drier grounds were patched like withered hay, upon which we set apart of a solemn day of humiliation, to seek the Lord by humble and fervent prayer in this great distress, and he was pleased to give them a gracious and speedy answer, both to our own and the Indians' admiration that lived among them. For all morning, and the greatest part of the day, it was clear weather, and very hot, not a cloud or sign of any rain to be seen, yet towards evening it began to overcast, and shortly after to rain, with such sweet and gentle showers as gave us cause of rejoicing and blessing God. It came without either wind or thunder or any violence, and by degree in that abundance, as the earth was thoroughly wet and soaked there within, which did so apparently revive and quicken the decayed corn- and other fruits, as was wonderful to see, and made the Indians astonished to behold. And afterwards the Lord sent them such seasonable showers, with interchange of fair warm weather, as through his blessing called a fruitful and liberal harvest to our no small comfort and rejoicing, for which mercy in time convenient, we all set apart a day of thanksgiving.
0: Did you follow all that the colonists were on the verge of starvation because of a terrible drought. Governor Bradford asked the colonists to pray, and even though there were no clouds out at the time and the sun was baking, a few hours later the exact perfect rain came. And then the rains continued throughout the season, and the people were saved. Yet another brilliant Beatles clip from Mike Gerard. What? That song has like only three chords. And how masterful they are. And Ringo was really great in that one. In any event, after the rain came and salvation was upon the pilgrims, Bradford said, Let's acknowledge this godson, literally with a sacred day of Thanksgiving. And that's the origin of Thanksgiving. Easy peasy, right? Like so many other historical incidents we have learned about in this podcast. <laughs> Yep, there's Mark Hamill's Joker again. Bombastic Brent, why don't you take the next theory?
1: Thanks, Judge. Some argue that the Berkeley Plantation in Virginia celebrated the first Thanksgiving. The English ship, the Margaret, arrived in the James River, and colonists disembarked in 1619 and settled the local area. It was then known as the Berkeley Hundred. Now, it is commonly referred to as the Berkeley Plantation. The expedition only carried 36 English settlers. They knew of the disaster that struck Jamestown and purposefully chose another landing site. Captain John Woodleaf, who actually survived the starving time in Jamestown, led the expedition. They had instructions from their sponsors in England to give thanks to God upon arrival, and to mark that day as an annual day of thanksgiving. And they did so as follows.
2: We ordain that the day of our ship's arrival at the place assigned for plantation in the land of Virginia should be yearly and perpetually holy as a day of thanksgiving to Almighty God.
1: This was an old-fashioned, strict prayer session. No feast, no Indians, no harvest celebration. And although it was intended to be an annual celebration, Native American Chief Upchanakana led a massacre of settlers for over 140 miles following the James River. The massacre of 1622 succeeded in annihilating the Berkeley Plantation, so Thanksgiving was cut off at the knees in Virginia. There are other competing claims involving Spanish colonizers and French Huguenots as well as celebrations of Native Americans. But even if they have some kernel of truth, they clearly did not lead to the holiday we think of as Thanksgiving in the English colonies. In what became the Thirteen British Colonies, days of Thanksgiving were made upon recovery from natural disasters and important events in the colony. These were ad hoc days, corresponding directly with particular circumstances. For example, Massachusetts Bay Colony had a day of Thanksgiving in July 1630 after the colonists arrived safely. Another was declared in February 1631 when a ship thought lost at sea arrived in Boston with badly needed supplies. Dutch settlers in New Amsterdam that is, modern New York City, hosted a day of Thanksgiving in 1644 when they defeated a local Native American tribe in battle. Then, they had another Thanksgiving day on September 6, 1654, when they made peace with that same tribe. Other than the short-lived Berkeley Plantation, the idea of an annual Thanksgiving on the same day each year was hardly considered. However, Connecticut records reveal that some localities started what appears to be annual Thanksgivings. The first annual general Thanksgiving in Connecticut was declared on August 26, 1639. Hey, August 26th is an important day to Judge Warren. This annual celebration was first to be celebrated on September 18th. That is the day after Patriot Week ends. Anyway, eventually, some of these annual celebrations expressly looked back and commemorated the Plymouth Colony Feast. This happened as early as 1665. But, for the most part, during the colonial era, Thanksgiving proclamations and celebrations were spread throughout the colonies, on different days, in different ways, by different authorities. The practice of pretty much ad hoc Uncoordinated and disparate Thanksgiving days across the colonies continued for generations. After all, each colony was independent. They each had their own governors, legislative assemblies, and other officials. They had their own militaries and prevalent religions. Their economies also varied substantially. They were in no sense a nation, but all part of a larger empire, run from London, or, with salutary neglect, left alone this is a good time for Mike Gerard to take it.
2: Thank you, bombastic Brent Bassett. Now, with the conflict with the British Empire arising in the 1760s, the 13 colonies united. They began to coordinate resistance, military supplies, political leadership, and foreign policy. The Continental Congress had issued proclamations of humiliation, fasting, and prayers. Congress proclaimed days of fasting and of prayers, annually throughout the Revolutionary War. In a proclamation issued on March 16, 1776, the Continental Congress decreed a day of humiliation, fasting, and prayer throughout the colonies to be held on May 17, 1776. In that proclamation, Congress urged Americans to
1: confess and bewail our manifold sins and transgressions, and by a sincere repentance and amendment of life appease his God's righteous displeasure and through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ obtain his pardon and forgiveness.
2: Still, there was no continental-wide day of Thanksgiving, likely because Thanksgiving, remember, is to express and celebrate gratitude for good fortune, and the American Revolution started off very badly. True, the revolutionaries had inflicted very heavy losses on imperial troops at Bunker Hill, but they still lost the battle, and the colonists had a surprise, amazingly daring victory against Hessian forces on Christmas Day when Washington crossed the Delaware. But Otherwise, it was pretty dismal. A universal Thanksgiving day was just waiting for the right occasion. And one arrived when American forces were finally able to win a major battle against British forces in the field at Saratoga in September and October 1777. Now, not only was it an important military victory, it bolstered American spirits and morale, and proved crucial to obtaining an outright allegiance with the French. With the President of the Continental Congress, Henry Lawrence, leading the charge on November 1st, 1777, Congress adopted the first Continental-wide Thanksgiving Proclamation.
1: It is the indispensable duty of all men to adore the superintending providence of Almighty God, to acknowledge with gratitude their obligation to Him for benefits received, and to implore such farther blessings as they stand in need of, and it having pleased Him in His abundant mercy not only to continue to us the innumerable bounties of His common providence, but also smile upon us in the prosecution of a just and necessary war, for the defense and establishment of our unalienable rights and liberties, particularly in that he hath been pleased in so great a measure to prosper the means used for the support of our troops, and to crown our arms with most signal success. It is therefore recommended that to the legislative or executive powers of these United States to set apart Thursday, the 18th day of December next, for solemn thanksgiving and praise, that with one heart and one voice the good people may express the grateful feelings of their hearts and consecrate themselves to the service of their divine benefactor, and that together, with their sincere acknowledgments and offerings, they may join the penitent confession of their manifold sins whereby they had forfeited every favor, and their humble and earnest supplication that it may please God, through the merits of Jesus Christ, mercifully to forgive and blot them out of remembrance, that it may please him graciously to afford his blessings on the governments of these states respectively, and prosper the public council of the whole, to inspire our commanders both by land and sea, and all under them, that with wisdom and fortitude which may render them fit instruments under the providence of Almighty God, to secure for these United States the greatest of all blessings, independence and peace, that it may please him to prosper the trade and manufactures of the people and the labor of the husbandmen, that our land may yield its increase, to take schools and seminaries of education so necessary for cultivating the principles of true liberty virtue, and piety, under his nurturing hand, and to prosper the means of religion, for the promotion and enlargement of that kingdom which consisteth of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And it is further recommended that servile labor and such recreation as, though at other times innocent, may be unbecoming the purpose of this appointment, be omitted on so solemn an occasion.
2: The proclamation acknowledges that divine providence acts on human affairs. A duty of mankind to be grateful to the Almighty, to pray and repent. It specifically asked for God's blessing to win independence, secure peace for prosperity, to educate youth, and for the blessings of liberty. It finds fitting to set aside a special day of gratitude and worship. As you might expect, these themes are constant threads throughout subsequent proclamations. As you could hear in the last paragraph, it was not only a day of prayer and thanksgiving, but of rest. In the eyes of the founders, this day of rest, of course, parallels the day of rest on Sundays that the Christian God undertook after creating the universe. Although the victory at Saratoga was indeed something to be thankful for, some on the ground were facing brutal conditions. One colonial soldier, Joseph Plum Martin, explained the conditions he was facing at the time. While we lay here, there was a continental thanksgiving ordered by Congress, and as the army had all the cause in the world to be particularly thankful, if not for being well off, at least it was no worse off. We were therefore ordered to participate in it. Now, we had nothing to eat for two or three days previous, except what the trees the field and the forest afforded us. But we must now have what Congress said, a sumptuous thanksgiving to close the year of high living we had now seen nearly brought to a close.' "'Well, to add something extraordinary to our present stock of provisions, "'our country, ever mindful of its suffering army, "'opened her sympathizing heart so wide upon this occasion "'as to give us something to make the world stare. "'And what do you think it was, dear reader? "'Guess. "'Eh, you cannot guess because you're too much of a Yankee. "'I'll tell you, it gave each and every man a measure of rice.' and a tablespoon of vinegar. After we had made sure of this extraordinarily abundant donation, we were ordered out to attend a meeting and hear a sermon delivered upon this oh-so-happy occasion. Ooh, that stings. The Continental Congress issued several additional proclamations of prayer, fasting, and thanksgiving. A poignant example was a proclamation for a day of thanksgiving and prayer issued when Thomas McKean was the president of the Congress. McKean was a signer of the Declaration of Independence and the apparent author of the proclamation. The proclamation was issued on October 26th 1781, and set the day of thanksgiving and prayer for December 18, 1781.
1: Whereas it hath pleased Almighty God, the Father of Mercies, remarkably to assist and support the United States of America in their important struggle for liberty against the long continued efforts of a powerful nation. It is the duty of all ranks to observe and thankfully acknowledge the interpositions of His providence on their behalf. Through the whole of the contest, from its first rise to this time, the influence of divine providence may be clearly perceived in many signal instances, of which we mention but a few. In revealing the counsels of our enemies, when the discoveries were seasonable and important, and the means seemingly inadequate or fortuitous, in preserving, and even improving, the union of the several states on the breach of which our enemies placed their greatest dependence, in increasing the number and adding to the zeal and attachment of friends of liberty, in granting remarkable deliverances and blessings with the most signal success when affairs seem to have the most discouraging appearance, in raising up for us a most powerful and generous ally, and one of the first of European powers, in confounding the counsels of our enemies and suffering them to pursue such measures as have most directly contributed to frustrate their own desires and expectations, above all, in making their extreme cruelty to the inhabitants of those states when in their power and their savage devastation of property, the very means of cementing our union and adding vigor to every effort in opposition to them and as we cannot help leading the good people of these states to a retrospect on the events which have taken place since the beginning of the war, so we may recommend in a particular manner to their observation the goodness of God in the year now drawing to a conclusion in which the Confederation of the United States has been completed.
2: And the proclamation reviews additional reasons to be thankful. The proclamation then recommends to the states to observe a day of thanksgiving and prayer on December thirteenth to be religiously observed, and that
1: all the people may assemble on that day with grateful hearts to celebrate the praises of our glorious benefactor, to confess our manifold sins, to offer up our most fervent supplications to the God of all grace that it may please Him to pardon our offense and incline our hearts for the future to keep all his laws, to comfort and relieve all our brethren who are in distress or captivity, to prosper our husbandmen, and give strength to all engaged in lawful commerce, to impart wisdom and integrity to our counselors, judgment and fortitude to our officers and soldiers, to protect and prosper our illustrious ally, and favor our united exertions for the speedy establishment of a safe, honorable and lasting peace, to bless our seminaries of learning, and cause the knowledge of God to cover the earth as the waters cover the seas.
2: Again, the proclamation has the themes of gratitude, the importance of God in the daily affairs of the people, for success against the English, the need to glorify and be thankful to God, to pray and repent, to ask for prosperity, the importance of wisdom, and that setting aside a day of thanksgiving are all vital. Congress issued such proclamations, hoping the states would follow suit, and they did. For example, following Congress's recommendation on November 11, 1779, Virginia Governor Thomas Jefferson issued a proclamation appointing a Day of Thanksgiving and Prayer on Thursday, December 9th. Whereas it becomes us humbly to approach the throne of Almighty God, with gratitude and praise, for the wonders which His goodness has wrought in conducting our forefathers to this Western world, for His protection to them and to their posterity, amidst difficulties and dangers, for raising us their children from deep distress, to be numbered among the nations of the earth, and for arming the hands of just and mighty princes in our deliverance, especially for that he hath been pleased to grant us the enjoyment of health, and so to the order of resolving seasons, that the earth has produced her increase in abundance, blessing the labours of husbandmen, and spending plenty through the land, that he has prospered our arms and those of our ally, been a shield to our troops in the hour of danger, pointed their swords to victory, and led them in triumph over the bulwarks of the foe, that he hath gone with those who went out into the wilderness against the savage tribes, that he hath stayed the hand of the spoiler, and turned back his meditated destruction, that he hath prospered our commerce, and given success to those who sought the enemy on the face of the deep, and above all, that he hath diffused the glorious light of the gospel, whereby through his merits of our gracious Redeemer we may become the heirs of his eternal glory. Therefore, resolved that it be recommended to the several states to appoint Thursday, the 9th of December next, to be a day of public and solemn thanksgiving to Almighty God for His mercies and of prayer for the continuance of His favor and protection to these United States, to beseech Him that He would be graciously pleased to influence our public councils and bless them with wisdom from on high, with unanimity, firmness, and success, that he would go forth with our hosts and crown our arms with victory, that he would grant to his church the plentiful effusions of divine grace, and pour out his Holy Spirit on all ministers of the gospel, that he would bless and prosper the means of education and spread the light of Christian knowledge throughout the remotest corners of the earth." That he would smile upon the labors of his people and cause the earth to bring forth her fruits in abundance, that we may with gratitude and gladness enjoy them; that he would take unto his holy protection our illustrious ally, give him victory over his enemies, and render him finally great as the father of his people and the protector of the rights of mankind, that he would graciously be pleased to turn the hearts of our enemies and to dispense the blessings of peace to contending nations, that he would in mercy look down upon us, pardon all of our sins, and receive us into his favor, and finally that he would establish the independence of these United States upon the basis of religion, and virtue, and support and protect them in the enjoyment
0: of peace, liberty, and safety. Thank you, Mr. President. I'll jump back in here. Apparently, the prayers were answered. The Americans won an improbable victory of independence against the greatest empire in history. They then went through a crisis period in which the flaws of the Articles of Confederation were readily tested and revealed. A constitutional convention was convened, and a new constitution ratified. George Washington, of course, became the first president under the new Constitution. He was elected in 1788 and took office in March of 1789. The first Congress under the Constitution was magnificent. Its accomplishments continue to guide our affairs today. On September 25, 1789, for example, under James Madison's leadership, Congress passed 12 constitutional amendments to be considered by the states. Amendments 3 through 12 were quickly ratified and became what we call the Bill of Rights. New Jersey Representative Elias Budinat introduced a Thanksgiving resolution stating that he, quote, could not think of letting the session pass over without offering an opportunity to all the citizens of the United States of joining with one voice in returning to Almighty God their sincere thanks for the many blessings he has poured down upon them, unquote. Boudinet proposed, quote, that a joint committee of both houses be directed to wait upon the President of the United States to request that he would recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal favors of Almighty God, especially by affording them an opportunity peacefully to establish a constitution of government for their safety and happiness." Boudinot was a Federalist and was a member of the Select Committee of 11, which worked on what became the Bill of Rights. He also chaired the House Committee of the Whole that considered the revised amendments in August. In Boudinot's eyes, the Bill of Rights and other accomplishments of the first session of Congress were true blessings for which the nation should be most thankful. Boudinot went to Princeton, was a successful attorney, served in the Continental Congress, and was its president. Later, in 1795, President Washington appointed him Director of the United States Mint. He was so well-respected, and the idea of a Thanksgiving resolution so obvious and appreciated that the resolution passed by unanimous consent. That is, without dissent. Easy peasy. (laughs) Okay, if you needed evidence that we were a free people in a federal republic, this seemingly benign idea generated heated controversy. Representative Ottenus Burke of South Carolina objected vehemently. Burke was an immigrant from Ireland. He was a combat veteran from the American Revolution and served as a state justice. He opposed the adoption of the Constitution as an Anti Federalist, but ran for Congress when it was ratified. He opposed the Thanksgiving resolution because he do not like this mimicking of European customs, where they made a mere mockery of Thanksgivings. One of Burke's fellow South Carolinians and Anti Federalist, Representative Thomas Tudor Tucker, also strongly objected. Tucker was another immigrant from Bermuda. He was educated in Edinburgh, Scotland, before coming to America. Although he opposed the Constitution, not only was he elected a congressman, later he would even serve as Treasurer of the United States. His opposition cut deep. The House had no business to interfere in a matter which did not concern them.
2: Why should the President direct the people to do what perhaps they have no mind to do? They may not be inclined to return thanks for a constitution until they have experienced that it promotes their safety and happiness. We do not yet know, but they may have reason to be dissatisfied with the effects it has already produced. But whether this be so or not, it is a business with which the Congress has nothing to do with. It is a religious matter, and as such is prescribed to us. If a day of thanksgiving must take place
0: let it be done by the authority of the states. The dissenters' opposition was vigorous but insufficient. The majority in Congress relied upon the Bible and the precedent of the Thanksgiving proclamations of the Continental Congress to prevail. The House appointed a committee consisting of Boudinot, Peter Sylvester, and Roger Sherman, the only man to sign the Continental Association, Declaration of Independence, Articles of Confederation, and Constitution. The Senate agreed to the resolution on September 26th and appointed Senators William Samuel Johnson and Ralph Izard to the joint committee. Two days later, the committee reported that they had laid the resolution before the president. Washington issued his proclamation on October 3rd, designating a day of prayer and thanksgiving. Boy, these guys are real slackers. They passed the Bill of Rights on September 25th, and it took Washington to October 3rd to issue the proclamation. Seriously, considering how long even basic legislation takes nowadays, maybe our legislators could try to emulate the Founders a bit more. In any event, Washington's proclamation recommends that the people of the United States join in a day of thanksgiving.
2: Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and humbly to implore His protection and favor, now therefore... I do recommend Thursday, the twenty-sixth day of November, be devoted by the people of these states to the service of that great and glorious being, who is the beneficent author of all the good that was, that is, or that will be, that we may then all unite in rendering unto him our sincere and humble thanks for his kind care and protection of the people of this country, previous to their becoming a nation." for the signal and manifold mercies and the favorable interpositions of his providence in the course and conclusion of the late war, for the great degree of tranquility, union, and plenty which we have since enjoyed, for the peaceful and rational manner in which we have been enabled to establish constitutions of government for our safety and happiness and particularly the national one now lately instituted, for the civil and religious liberties with which we are blessed, and the means which we have acquiring and diffusing useful knowledge, and, in general, for all the great and various favors which he has been pleased to confer upon us." and also that we may then unite in most humbly offering our prayers and supplications to the great Lord and ruler of nations, and beseech him to pardon our national other transgressions, to enable us all, whether in public or private stations, to perform our several and relative duties properly and punctually, to render our national government a blessing to all the people by constantly being a government of wise, just, and constitutional laws, discreetly and faithfully executed and obeyed, to protect and guide all sovereigns and nations, especially such as have shown kindness unto us, and to bless them with good governments, peace, and concord, to promote the knowledge and practice of true religion and virtue, and the increase of science among them and us, and generally to grant unto all mankind such a degree of temporal prosperity as he alone knows to be best.
0: Washington's inspiring words rose to the occasion. Any controversy about the Thanksgiving proclamation apparently was still born in Congress. The states readily followed the recommendation. Six years later, after subduing the Whiskey Rebellion, President Washington issued his second and last annual Thanksgiving proclamation, this time on his own initiative. You will notice that he refers to the Whiskey Rebellion as the Late Insurrection, and there is much ado about law and security, fitting under the circumstances.
2: When we review the calamities which afflict so many other nations, the present condition of the United States affords much matter of consolation and satisfaction. Our exemption hitherto from foreign war, an increasing prospect of the continuance of that exemption, The great degree of internal tranquility we have enjoyed, the recent confirmation of that tranquility, by the suppression of an insurrection which so wantonly threatened it, the happy course of our public affairs in general, the unexampled prosperity of all classes of our citizens, our circumstances which particularly mark our situation with indications of the divine beneficence towards us. In such a state of things it is, in an especial manner, Our duty as a people, with devout reverence and affectionate gratitude, to acknowledge our many and great obligations to Almighty God, and to implore Him to continue and confirm the blessings we experience. Deeply penetrated with this statement, I do recommend to all religious societies and denominations, and to all persons whomsoever within the United States, to set apart and observe Thursday, the 19th day of February next, as a day of public thanksgiving and prayer, and on that day to meet together and render their sincere and hearty thanks to the great ruler of nations, for the manifold and signal mercies which distinguish our lot as a nation, particularly for the possession of constitutions of government which unite, and by their union establish liberty with order. For the preservation of our peace, foreign and domestic, and for the seasonable control which has been given to a spirit of disorder in the suppression of the late insurrection, and generally for the prosperous course of our affairs, public and private, and at the same time, humbly and fervently to beseech the kind author of these blessings graciously to prolong them to us, to imprint on our hearts a deep and solemn sense of our obligations to him for them, to teach us rightly to estimate their immense value, to preserve us from the arrogance of prosperity and from hazarding the advantages we enjoy by delusive pursuits, to dispose us to merit the continuance of his favors by not abusing them by our gratitude for them and by a correspondent conduct as citizens and as men, to render this country more and more a safe and propitious asylum for the unfortunate of other countries, to extend among us true and useful knowledge, to diffuse and establish habits of sobriety, order, morality, and piety, and finally, to impart all the blessings we possess or ask for ourselves to the whole family of
0: mankind. Again, quite inspirational and heartfelt sentiments from Washington. Now, Washington only issued two Thanksgiving proclamations, the first in November and the second in February, and they were issued six years apart. They were both sparked by specific events and circumstances. John Adams, our second president, followed suit, kind of. He issued two proclamations that included Thanksgivings. But perhaps fitting a somewhat dour and stern personality, he issued proclamations of humiliation, Fasting and prayer, and tacked on thanksgivings at the end. Like Washington, these were issued as specific responses to specific circumstances. But here they were issued mostly not for Thanksgiving, but instead they recognized that we were facing serious dangers. And Adams was calling on the nation to pray for our security and success. America was engaged in a quasi war with France and was also threatened by the Spanish and the English. He was trying very hard to thread that needle to peace. In the proclamations, he addresses the crisis, and he then added the thanksgivings. One such day was set for May 9, 1798, and the other for April twenty fifth, 1799. Here is the 1798 proclamation setting the day
2: as a day of solemn humiliation fasting and prayer that the citizens of these states abstaining on that day from their customary worldly occupations offer their devout addresses to the father of mercies agreeably to those forms or methods which they have severally adopted as the most suitable and becoming that all religious congregations do, with the deepest humility, acknowledge before God the manifold sins and transgressions with which we are justly chargeable as individuals and as a nation, beseeching Him at the same time of His infinite grace, through the Redeemer of the world, freely to remit all our offenses, and to incline us by His Holy Spirit to that sincere repentance and reformation which may afford us reason to hope for his inestimable favor and heavenly benediction that it may be made the subject of a particular and earnest supplication that our country may be protected from all the dangers which threaten it that our civil and religious privileges may be preserved inviolate and perpetuated to the latest generations, that our public councils and magistrates may be especially enlightened and directed at this critical period; that the American people may be united in those bonds of amity and mutual confidence, and inspired with that vigor and fortitude by which they have in times past been so highly distinguished, and which by they have obtained such invaluable advantages; that the health of the inhabitants of our land may be preserved, and their agriculture, commerce, fisheries arts and manufacturers be blessed and prospered that the principles of genuine piety and sound morality may influence the minds and govern the lives of every description of our citizens that the blessings of peace Freedom, and pure religion may be speedily extended to all the nations of the earth. And finally, I recommend that on the said day the duties of humiliation and prayer be accompanied by fervent thanksgiving to the bestower of every good gift, not only for his having hitherto protected and preserved the people of these United States in the independent enjoyment of their religious and civil freedom, but also for having prospered them in a wonderful progress of population, and for conferring on them many and great favors conducive to the happiness and prosperity of a nation.
0: Again, did you notice the tone and verbiage there? Much more about praying for help through the crisis with just a touch about thanksgiving for the blessings of liberty already at hand. The 1798 resolution is even longer on humiliation, fasting, and prayer, and very much shorter on thanksgiving. As you know, Adams was a one-term president, having been knocked off by Thomas Jefferson in the election of 1800. And although he served two terms, Jefferson issued exactly no Thanksgiving proclamations and no proclamations of humiliation, fasting, and prayer. But you might say, wait a minute, Jefferson issued proclamations as governor of Virginia. What changed? Three major things here. First, when he was governor, he was following the direction of the Congress. Remember, they had recommended that every governor issue a Thanksgiving proclamation. Second, When he was governor, there was no federal constitution and no First Amendment. The First Amendment protects the free exercise of religion and prohibits an establishment of a federal church in the country. Third, Virginia had general police powers to act in all areas not otherwise prohibited by the Virginia state constitution. We addressed this in the Can They Really Do That episode on COVID-19, while the federal government was one of limited, enumerated express powers. The federal government cannot act unless the Constitution grants its specific authority. This mirror image of federalism is clear through the language and structure of the unamended Constitution and is expressly protected in the Tenth Amendment. When confronted with a request to issue a Thanksgiving proclamation, Jefferson wrote a letter back to Samuel Letter in 1808 that such a proclamation would be unconstitutional as a violation of the protections afforded to religious liberty and federalism.
2: I consider the government of the United States as interdicted by the Constitution, from intermeddling with religious institutions, their doctrines, disciplines, or exercises. This results not only from the provision that no law shall be made respecting the establishment or free exercise of religion, but from that also which reserves to the states the powers not delegated to the United States certainly no power to prescribe any religious exercise or to assume authority in religious discipline has been delegated to the general government. It must then rest with the states as far as it can be in any human authority. I do not believe it is for the interest of religion to invite the civil magistrate to direct its exercises, its disciplines, or its doctrines, nor of the religious societies that the general government should be invested with the power of effecting any uniformity of time or matter among them. Fasting and prayer are religious exercises, the enjoining them an act of discipline. Every religious society has a right to determine for itself the time's For these exercises and the objects proper for them, according to their own particular tenets. And this right can never be safer than in their own hands, where the Constitution
0: has deposited it. Although James Madison was Jefferson's partner in securing the free exercise of religion and disestablishment of the church in Virginia, and Madison wrote the first Ten Amendments, He did not join Jefferson's trepidation in connection with issuing such proclamations. Following the examples of Washington and Adams, Madison issued specific proclamations in response to the War of 1812, and actually as recommended by joint resolutions of Congress to issue them, just like Washington's first Thanksgiving message setting a day of their homage, of thanksgiving, and songs of gratitude, the second message by Madison specifically expressed gratitude for not only the victory in the War of 1812, but for the blessings of America in general.
1: No people ought to feel greater obligations to celebrate the goodness of the great disposer of events of the destiny of nations than the people of the United States. His kind providence originally conducted them to one of the best portions of the dwelling place originally allotted for the great family of the human race. He protected and cherished them under all the difficulties and trials to which they were exposed in their early days. Under his fostering care, their habits, their sentiments, and their pursuits prepared them for a transition in due time To a state of independence and self government. In the arduous struggle by which it was attained, they were distinguished by multiplied tokens of his benign interposition. During the interval which succeeded, he reared them into the strength and endowed them with the resources which have enabled them to assert their national rights and to enhance their national character in another arduous conflict which is now so happily terminated by a peace and reconciliation with those who have been our enemies, and to the same divine author of every good and perfect gift, we are indebted for all those privileges and advantages, religious as well as civil, which are so richly enjoyed in this favored land. It is for blessings such as these, and more especially, for the restoration of the blessing of peace, that I now recommend that the second Thursday in April next be set aside as a day on which the peoples of every religious denomination may, in their solemn assemblies, unite their hearts and their voices in a free will offering to their heavenly benefactor of their homage of thanksgiving and of their songs of
0: praise. Madison's powerful words repeat many of the themes of the prior proclamations. The need for gratitude. The need to pray and repent. The belief in a divine providence which acts on human affairs. The debt owed by the people to the Almighty. The wisdom of setting aside a day to pray and express gratitude for the blessings of liberty and prosperity. So we have Washington, Adams, and Madison creating powerful precedents for their successors. The Trinity of the Father of the country and indispensable man that's Washington, the Colossus of Independence, that's Adams, and the father of the Constitution, that's Madison. Accordingly, their example led to a remarkable set of proclamations issued by John Quincy Adams, Andrew Jackson, Martin Van Buren, William Henry Harrison, John Tyler, James K. Polk, Zachary Taylor, Milliard Fillmore, Franklin Pierce, and James Buchanan sit back and get ready to listen for the next couple of hours as we listen to these great proclamations. (laughs) Dope! Those 10 presidents issued exactly zero Thanksgiving proclamations. Mike Gerard, I'd be thankful if you take the next segment. And I'm glad to take it.
2: Now, although those ten presidents didn't proclaim Thanksgiving on a national basis, that doesn't mean that there weren't Thanksgiving proclamations, but they were issued by governors. By the 1850s, most state governors were setting Thanksgiving in November, but there was no agreement when in November, and not all states even celebrated it. Still, the people were making tremendous strides to rebirth Thanksgiving on a national scale. And when we say the people, we really mean a singular effort headed by Sarah Josepha Hale. Haven't heard of her? Well, that's a shame. She was an amazing character that seems to have been lost in the currents of history. But I'll bet you do know her for at least one reason. She wrote Mary Had a Little Lamb. And apparently, she had an endless energy and drive. She was an actor, editor, abolitionist, and women's rights advocate. She authored poetry, fiction, cooking, housekeeping, and history works. Her book... Northwood, A Tale of New England was an anti-slavery bestseller. She fought for property rights for married women, to have women admitted into the teaching profession in public schools, and to have women admitted into medical education. She created the first daycare center for small children. She organized the first public playground. She founded a society dedicated to increasing the wages of women, and She helped found Vassar College, which was the first college for women. She even invented the term domestic science to elevate the status of housekeeping. And almost all of this was in her spare time. She had a very important and arduous full-time job. She was an editor at Ladies Magazine, which later merged into Gotti's Ladies Book, and she became its editor. She solicited great writers such as Harriet Beecher Stowe, Nathaniel Hawthorne, Washington Irving, and Edgar Allan Poe. And when she took over, Circulation was about 10,000 subscribers, which wasn't bad, but by 1860, it had 150,000 subscribers and was the largest magazine in the country. And starting in 1840, she began using her platform in the magazine to push for a national Thanksgiving, one that would be universally and uniformly celebrated across the country on the same date as directed by the president. She followed George Washington's lead with his first proclamation and went for the fourth Thursday in November. She personally undertook a letter-writing campaign, sending hundreds or even thousands of letters to presidents, governors, congressmen, and other influential Americans, but most ignored her. But, you know, life is funny. You just need one influential person to respond. And she got that in the midst of the most horrible war ever to confront America, the Civil War. On Monday, September 28,
0: 1863, she wrote a private letter to the President. Permit me to request a few minutes of your precious time, while laying before you a subject of deep interest to myself, and as I trust, even to the President of our Republic. This subject is to have the day of our annual Thanksgiving made a national and fixed Union Festival. You may have observed that for some years past, there has been an increasing interest felt in our land to have the Thanksgiving Day held on the same day in all the states It now needs national recognition and authoritative fixation only to become permanently an American custom and institution. But I find there are obstacles not possible to be overcome without legislative aid that each state should, by statute, make it obligatory on the governor to appoint the last Thursday of November annually as Thanksgiving Day. Or, as this way would require years to be realized, it has occurred to me that a proclamation from the President of the United States would be the surest and most fitting method of national appointment. Could he not, with right as well as duty, issue his proclamation for a day of national Thanksgiving for all the above classes of persons? And would it not be fitting and patriotic for him to appeal to the governors of all the states, inviting and commending these to unite in issuing proclamations for the last Thursday in November as the day of thanksgiving for the people of each state. Thus, the Great Union Festival of America would be established. I entreat President Lincoln to put forth this proclamation, appointing the last Thursday in November as the national thanksgiving for all those classes of people who are under the national government, particularly in commending this Union thanksgiving to. Each state executive, thus by the noble example and action of the President of the United States, the permanency and unity of our great American festival of Thanksgiving would be forever secured. Lincoln
2: responded favorably. Secretary of State William Seward ghost-wrote the proclamation himself, and it was issued on October 3, 1863. And here it is.
1: The year that is drawing toward its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. To these bounties, which are so constantly enjoyed, that we are prone to forget the source from which they come. Others have been added, which are of so extraordinary a nature, that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften even the heart, which is habitually insensible to the ever-watchful providence Almighty God. In the midst of a civil war of unequaled magnitude and severity, peace has been preserved with all nations, order has been maintained, the laws have been respected and obeyed, and harmony has prevailed everywhere except in the theater of military conflict while that theater has been greatly contracted by the advancing armies and navies of the Union. Needful diversions of wealth and of strength from the fields of peaceful industry to the national defense have not arrested the plow, the shuttle, or the ship. The axe has enlarged the borders of our settlements, and the mines, as well of iron and coal as of the precious metals have yielded even more abundantly than heretofore. Population has steadily increased, notwithstanding the waste that has been made in the camp, the siege and the battlefield, and the country rejoicing in the consciousness of augmented strength and vigor is permitted to expect continuance of years with large increase of freedom no human counsel hath devised, nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who, while dealing with us in anger for our sins, hath nevertheless remembered mercy. It has seemed to me fit and proper that they should be solemnly reverently and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our Beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. And I recommend to them, that while offering up the ascriptions justly due to Him for such singular deliverances and blessings, they do also, with humble penitence for our national perverseness and disobedience, commend to His tender care all those who have become widows, orphans, mourners, or sufferers in the lamentable civil strife in which we are unavoidably engaged and fervently employ the interposition of the almighty hand to heal the wounds of the nation and to restore it as soon as may be consistent with the divine purposes to the full enjoyment of peace, harmony, tranquility, and union.
2: Seriously, what a powerful statement. Now, following Hale's advice, Lincoln decided to make this an annual tradition, on October 24, 1864, he issued his second Thanksgiving proclamation, setting Thanksgiving for the last Thursday of November. Lincoln's assassination prevented him from issuing any additional proclamations at least on earth, but his vice president and successor as president, Andrew Johnson, followed Lincoln's mark in 1865. Since then, annual presidential proclamations are a bedrock tradition in America. But that doesn't mean it wouldn't evolve. Judge Warren, take
0: us to the next step, please. Just no beetles. Thanks, Mike Gerard. No beetles here, but we do have lots of interesting primary sources coming up. In 1939, in the grips of the Great Depression, per custom, Thanksgiving would have been scheduled for November 30th. At the urging of the National Retail Dry Goods Association and other business interests, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt moved the proclamation up one week to the third Thursday in November. This was to give retail businesses an extra week of shopping in the traditional holiday shopping season between Thanksgiving and Christmas Day. This proclamation only directly applied to Washington, D.C., but FDR urged all states to follow it. FDR thought it would be warmly embraced by Americans. Kind of like his court-packing plan, this was a huge miscalculation. He announced it on August 14, 1939, and it made front-page news the next day. But not in a good way. A huge split in the nation occurred. Some states followed it, and others refused. Republican critics started to call it Franksgiving. Representative Alan Treadway of Massachusetts, who eventually served 16 terms in the House of Representatives, went to war against FDR on November 28, 1940. As a representative from the Home State of the Pilgrims, he argued on the House floor that Thanksgiving should be permanently moved to the fourth Thursday of November. Disrespect
1: for custom and tradition
0: has been given too much
1: encouragement in recent years. How much more appropriate would it be if the people throughout our land might celebrate Thanksgiving on the same day as of yore? and how much more significance the day would have if it were celebrated on a traditional date. I feel the example which Massachusetts and New England offer in the retention of long-standing custom should be given very careful consideration before ruthlessly permitting it to be sacrificed for mercenary considerations. It seems to me that it would be well of the Congress to adopt a joint resolution calling upon the President to proclaim the last Thursday of November each year as a day of Thanksgiving.
0: On January third, 1941, Representative Earl Mishner of Michigan introduced House Joint Resolution 41 to set the last Thursday of November for the Thanksgiving holiday. On October 6, 1941, there was a final debate on the bill. Actually, FDR had already conceded defeat. Michigan's Mishner spoke on the floor of the House of Representatives. Quote, As a result of the presidential proclamation, the governors of 32 states issued like proclamations, while 16 states refused to accept the new order. This change only made for confusion. The President of the United States has announced that the reasons for which the change was made do not justify a continued change in the date. In short, the experiment has not justified the change according to the President's statement. This bill fixes Thanksgiving Day on a given date in each year in the same manner as New Year's Day, Washington's birthday, National Memorial Day, July 4th, Labor Day, Armistice Day, and Christmas Day are fixed by law. The effect will be to stabilize the date so that there could be no confusion at any time in the future without congressional action. There appears to be no act of Congress that has ever designated a particular day as Thanksgiving Day. The first Thanksgiving Day designated by a president was Thursday, November 26, 1789. Other days so designated were February 19, 1795, second Thursday in April 1815, August 6, 1863, beginning in 1866, the last Thursday in November, was regularly designated as Thanksgiving Day until 1939, unquote. The resolution passed by unanimous consent. No, really, this one did. President Roosevelt signed it into law on the day after Christmas to take effect the following year. FDR not only begrudgingly firmly fixed into law the tradition of the fourth Thursday of November, he began giving messages on Thanksgiving Day itself, which were broadcast across the nation on the radio. A sample is this one in 1938, so this was the year before the big brouhaha about changing the date.
3: We are thinking not of ourselves alone, but of tens of thousands of other children and grown-ups, and wishing for them that they may be having an equally happy Thanksgiving lots of turkey, and lots of fixings. I have had many telegrams today, Thanksgiving telegrams, that one that I want to read to you from an old friend who's helped warm springs in past days very greatly, Eddie Cantor, the comedian, the actor. And he gives me a thought that I think we can all think over. May you and yours have a a happy thanksgiving. I am thankful that I can live in a country where our leaders sit down on Thanksgiving Day to carve up a turkey instead of a map."
0: Notice at the end of this clip he refers to not carving up maps. He was clearly referring to World War II, which the United States had not yet entered but it was engulfing Europe and much of the world. These Thanksgiving messages took a particular poignant turn in 1963 when President Lyndon Baines Johnson addressed the nation. This was because President Kennedy had been assassinated just a week before. Johnson had been Kennedy's vice president, and this was his first address to the nation as president, and he was asking our people to pray for him and the welfare of the country in such difficult times.
4: Tonight, on this Thanksgiving... I come before you to ask your help, to ask your strength, to ask your prayers that God may guard this republic and guide my every labor. All of us have lived through seven days that none of us will ever forget. We are not given the divine wisdom to answer why this has been. But we are given the human duty of determining what is to be. What is to be for America, for the world, for the cause we lead, for all the hopes that live in our hearts. A great leader is dead. A great nation must move on. Yesterday, is not ours to recover, but tomorrow is ours to win or to lose. I am resolved that we shall win the tomorrows before us. So I ask you to join me in that resolve, determined that from this midnight of tragedy, we shall move toward a new American greatness. More than any generation before us, we have cause to be thankful, so thankful on this Thanksgiving day. Our harvests are bountiful. Our factories flourish. Our homes are safe. Our defenses are secure. We live in peace. The goodwill of the world pours out for us. But more than these blessings, we know tonight that our system is strong, strong and secure. A deed that was meant to tear us apart has bound us together. Our system has passed. You have passed a great test.
0: Such a sad, yet inspiring message. Again, as I have implored in several episodes in this podcast, what exactly has happened to our eloquent spokesman for this nation in these trying times? Talking about eloquence, in 1984, President Ronald Reagan was the first to mention the celebrations held by Native Americans in his proclamation issued on October 19, 1984.
1: As we remember the faith and values that made America great, we should recall that our tradition of thanksgiving is older than our nation itself. Indeed, the Native American thanksgiving antedated those of the new Americans. In the words of the eloquent Seneca tradition of the Iroquois, Give it your thought, that with one mind we may now give thanks to him, our Creator. From the first pilgrim observance in 1621— to the nine years before and during the American Revolution, when the Continental Congress declared days of fast and prayer and days of thanksgiving, we have turned to Almighty God to express our gratitude for the bounty and good fortune we enjoy as individuals and as a nation. America truly has been blessed.
0: Thanksgiving presidential remarks have also been opportunities to parlor a bit of politics, too. Here's another clip from Reagan, this time in 1986.
3: My fellow Americans, when Nancy and I celebrate Thanksgiving weekend each year in California's Santa Ynez Mountains, we find it a wonderful opportunity to be together with family and friends and, like so many Americans, a chance to reflect on all the Lord's blessings to our country. We've been particularly conscious this year of one blessing that's made this holiday season a happy one for countless more Americans. Americans who in years past were trapped in want and poverty. Only four years ago, as our economic policies were just taking effect, we began what became the second longest peacetime expansion since World War II. This year, the stock market has hit all-time highs, while inflation continues near
0: all-time lows. And let's just say Reagan waxes eloquently for a few more minutes about the accomplishments of his administration. President Barack Obama followed this line of thought in his address in 2009.
5: But as much as we have to be thankful for, we also know that this year millions of Americans are facing very difficult economic times. Many have lost jobs in this recession, the worst in generations. Many more are struggling to afford health care premiums and house payments, let alone to save for an education or retirement. Too many are wondering if the dream of a middle-class life, that American dream, is slipping away. It's the worry I hear from folks across the country, good, hard-working people doing the best they can for their families, but fearing that their best just isn't good enough. These aren't strangers. They're our family, our friends, and our neighbors. Their struggles must be our concern. That's why we passed the Recovery Act that cut taxes for 95% of working people and for small businesses and that extended unemployment benefits and health coverage for millions of Americans who lost their jobs in this turmoil. That's why we're reforming the health care system, so that middle-class families have affordable insurance that cannot be denied because of a pre-existing condition or taken away because you happen to get sick.
0: Like Reagan, Obama spent a few more minutes elaborating what he thought the ills of the country were and how his administration was working to fix them. President George W. Bush created a new tradition when he visited American troops in Iraq on Thanksgiving in 2003. The New York Times reported,
2: In a stunning mission conducted under enormous secrecy, President Bush flew into Baghdad today aboard Air Force One to have dinner with United States officials and a group of astonished American troops. His trip, the first ever to Iraq by an American president, had been kept a matter of absolute secrecy by the White House. Even his wife, Laura, and his parents, the former President George Bush and his wife, Barbara, were not told in advance, officials said later. The trip was an extraordinary gesture, with scant precedence, and was seen as an effort by Mr. Bush to show the importance he attaches to the embattled United States-led effort to pacify and democratize Iraq. Mr. Bush sneaked out of Crawford on Wednesday in an unmarked car, then flew to Andrews Air Force Base outside Washington, where a few advisors and a small number of reporters sworn to secrecy joined him. They then flew on to Baghdad International Airport, arriving around dusk. He spent two hours, 32 minutes in the country, dining with the chief United States administrator there, L. Paul Bremer III, and sharing Thanksgiving wishes with about 600 troops. At an airport hangar. Mr. Bush
0: actually helped serve dinner to the troops. As far as I can tell, Bush did not politic on his visit to troops there. President Trump took a similar trip in 2019 when he visited Bagram U.S. Air Force Base in Afghanistan for Thanksgiving. In his comments, he noted he wasn't able to eat because he was so busy visiting with the troops that he was glad to make the 16-hour trip and that American military forces were the strongest in the world. And then, taking cues from Reagan and Obama, his comments veered into touting the accomplishments of his administration.
6: We flew 8,331 miles to be here tonight for one simple reason, to tell you in person that this Thanksgiving is a special Thanksgiving, we're doing so well, our country is the strongest economically it's ever been, we have never done so well. We have the greatest economy anywhere in the world, so it's nice to know that you're fighting for something that is doing well as opposed to something that was not doing well just a number of years ago. Our stock markets reached the highest level ever in the history of the exchanges. But Baghdadi was a a savage and soulless monster who raped, tortured and slaughtered the innocent, including. Many, many Americans, when you saw those folks, those great people in the orange jumpsuits, oftentimes standing on a beach with a thug behind them and a big knife, that was all al-Baghdadi, but he's gone. The American warriors hunted him down. They executed a masterful raid, and they punched his ticket to hell. That's what happened.
0: Based on my research, we can safely assume that this was the first time in which Thanksgiving remarks by a president praised the death of a particular enemy and sending him to hell. Bombastic Brent, take on the final presidential prerogative, please. I'm
1: happy to, Judge. In addition to presidential proclamations and addresses, Thanksgiving has one more very extraordinary presidential tradition. And this one is literally life and death. President Bill Clinton explained it exceedingly well in 1997 at the White House. President
7: Truman was the first president to pardon a turkey. But in some ways, the tradition actually began 83 years earlier, when President Lincoln received a turkey for Christmas holiday. His son, Tad, grew so attached to the turkey that he named him Jack, and President Lincoln had no choice but to give Jack the full run of the White House. Jack was here, actually, for some monumental events. On Election Day in 1864, when Mr. Lincoln was running for re-election, a special polling place was actually set up right here on the grounds of the White House so that the soldiers could vote. Well, Jack the turkey actually strutted in front of some of the would-be voters and broke broken line. Lincoln asked his son, why is your turkey at the polls? Does he vote? Without hesitation, Tad said, he's not old enough yet. Tomorrow, 45 million turkeys will make the ultimate sacrifice for America's feast. But not this one. I'm granting this turkey a permanent reprieve. After many years in the coop, he's on his way to a farm in Virginia to bask in the sun, collect his hard-earned pension, enjoy his golden years. And that's one less turkey in Washington. Happy Thanksgiving.
1: Whew, I'm happy for that turkey. But to those millions of turkeys that gave the ultimate sacrifice, well, we are thankful. Of course, Thanksgiving is not just about traditions of the presidents. As Clinton and some of the other remarks we have reviewed have noted, Thanksgiving is forever joined with turkey, cranberry, stuffing, mashed potatoes, sweet potatoes, and dessert, a bit of wine, beer, or something stronger, really stronger, of course, there are plenty of variations across regions of the country and in households. Still, the tradition of a feast has become an immutable characteristic of the celebration. Church services and expressions of gratitude for divine providence have been a fixture for generations. And parades! The first one was organized by Gimbel's department store in the city of Brotherly Love and the birthplace of Independence and our Constitution, Philadelphia, in 1920. It was a modest affair for a few years, but then J.L. Hudson's department store in Detroit and Macy's in New York City launched huge circus-like affairs in 1924. Gimbel's upped the ante in 1925. Today, Macy's Parade tends to get the most notice, but I'll tell you, the Detroit Parade is just outstanding, drawing huge crowds and an army of volunteers. They also tend to have other events associated with them.
0: I can see where this is going, and I have to just cut in for a minute. Being the marathon runner here...
2: Oh no, not this again. Look, Judge, there's no need to brag. Just get back to the point.
0: Anytime you want a turkey trot with me, Mike Gerard, you are welcome. But yes, back to the point. More recently, Thanksgiving has become the biggest day for running races. Turkey trots and similar runs drew over 1.1 million people in 2018. Patriot Week co-founder Leah and I have been running the Detroit's turkey trot for years, which has tens of thousands of participants. In those runs, I have been dressed like Obi-Wan Kenobi with his lightsaber and Captain America with his shield. Leah ran one year with a tutu, and now she runs as a huge wrapped gift box, and I run next to her a Santa we always have great responses from the crowd and have had a grand time then we watch the parade
1: hey back to me for the really important part of thanksgiving football woohoo 1.1 million runners that pales in comparison to football
2: for our international listeners this isn't soccer but american football as in the national football league the nfl like think of tom brady and we have to mention him because he's not only a patriot, he's a University of Michigan alumni. Go Blue! I mean, seriously, this University of
1: Michigan bias living off the glory days? Ugh. In any event, Walter Camp, known as the father of American football, found that football actually began with Thanksgiving Day festivities in early New England. He wrote, quote, In America, the first football was a peculiar Thanksgiving Day custom of kicking an inflated pig's bladder about the yard of New England farmhouses, to the great merriment of the younger members of the household and the occasional discomfiture of the elders, unquote. Collegiate football began on Thanksgiving Day on November 30th, 1873, pitting the powerhouses of Princeton versus Yale in the championship game in Hoboken, New Jersey. This annual game outgrew that venue and soon moved to New York City. By 1893, there were 5,000 Thanksgiving football games with 120,000 players. And when football developed a professional league, Thanksgiving would soon be an annual pastime. The Detroit Lions started as the Spartans of Portsmouth, Ohio, in 1934. George A. Richards, a radio station owner in Detroit, bought the Spartans and moved them to Michigan. And he dumped that awesome name of the Spartans. Wolverines, go blue. Go green. Go white. Anyway, Richard called them the Detroit Lions but the Detroit Tigers were much more popular. The attendance of the Lions was lousy, so Burton struck on a great marketing scheme, a Thanksgiving game against the Chicago Bears, the reigning champs.
5: We are coming to you live from Dickers here on Thanksgiving Day, a day for giving thanks for or taking punishment from a team that is known as the the Bears.
4: The
1: Bears!
5: With me, as always, are the super fans, Gentlemen, how was your week? Ah, real good. Real good. Good. Any heart attacks? I had one. Had a couple. Good. All right. Now, as you can tell, we're celebrating Thanksgiving here at Dickus rather than at our homes. But it's okay. Our families understand. Absolutely. This year, the Bears are playing, and Dickus has a 12-foot screen. Of course.
6: There's really no other place
1: to be. All
5: right. We're getting ready to watch the Bears annihilate the Detroit Lions.
1: Thanks to Saturday Night Live for that documentary clip of Bears fans. In any event, Burton was a genius. Tickets sold out for that first Clash of the Titans. Since then, excepting an interruption during World War II, a Thanksgiving football game has been hosted by the Detroit Lions every year since 1934. As of the recording of the episode, the Lions have played 80 games, winning 37, losing 41, and tying twice. Currently, there are three games on Thanksgiving Day. The Detroit Lions game, one hosted by the Dallas Cowboys since 1966, and a third beginning in 2006 rotating between teams. The Bills-Cowboys 2019 game was CBS's most-watched Thanksgiving NFL game in 27 years, with 32.53 million viewers. Fox's Thanksgiving game that year between the Lions and... Bears. That drew 27.28 million across all its platforms, while NBC's primetime game between the New Orleans Saints and Atlanta Falcons had 21.1 million viewers. I know I'm being a homer here, but Detroit has a great run, a fabulous parade, and the Lions, the epicenter of Thanksgiving. Back to
0: you, Mike Gerard. Wait. Just one Lions play. Bardell,
7: Barry Sanders, I formation. Give to Barry, cut back over the middle of the 25 to the 20, breaks a tackle to the 15. Stop, starts, 10-5, touchdown, Lions. Holy mackerel. Two Chicago Bears there to stop him, and they could not do it. Another stop, start one by Barry Sanders.
2: And then there's the aftermath of Thanksgiving, Black Friday. I'm just gonna cut to the chase. There's lots of frenzied shopping by discount shoppers for supposedly amazing sales. It's not really a Thanksgiving tradition, it's a post-Thanksgiving sales frenzy. And there's certainly nothing more American than standing outside a closed box store for hours and hours on end, and finally when the door is open you push forward with the big crowd and race towards that 40-inch screen TV that you think is such a good deal, but Actually, isn't. And all of this has nothing to do with Thanksgiving. But I digress. All of these traditions have existed for generations, but there's new ones that have come to the forefront. One is Cyber Monday, which is just an online version of Black Friday. And again, you think you're getting great deals, but let me tell you, you're not. The thing that they advertise, they have two of, and they're already spoken for. But anyways, there's some anti-consumerism hope. Giving Tuesday, it was started in 2012 by Henry Timms of 92nd Street Y, a Jewish community and cultural center in New York City. It encourages people to make donations to charitable organizations after all the consumerism following Thanksgiving. Fittingly, we'll now listen to Timms in his own words, courtesy of the PBS
8: NewsHour. We had this idea, you, you know about Black Friday and Cyber Monday and so we were thinking okay what about adding Giving Tuesday? Could you add a day that reversed the trend after all this consumerism that people would give back, would they would engage with the world? So the idea began at the 92nd Street Y and it was a really simple idea and we designed that from the start in a way that we hoped other people would grab this idea and, and take it somewhere new. And what was so interesting about Giving Tuesday as we watched it grow was from the very first days, it was a story of other people stepping up and saying, I'd like to make this idea better. What really supercharged Giving Tuesday was small communities, uh, families, people all around the country who just said, you know what, I'm, I'm gonna start making this part of my annual tradition. So Giving Tuesday in the first year, we were lucky because like, people like Bill Gates were tweeting about it. But underneath that was what was really changing was, people were sitting down with their kids around the table and they were saying, what are, the, what are the charities we care about? What are the causes our family stands for? Why is philanthropy important to us? And, and that's been a joy to watch.
0: Mike Gerard, thanks. And I'll bring us home. In light of Giving Tuesday, perhaps the spirit of Thanksgiving is making a comeback. But you don't have to give money to express gratitude or pray. That is entirely free. Patriots, I suggest you return to the original, deeper meaning of Thanksgiving this year by truly expressing gratitude when you have your feast. Pray a meaningful prayer. Or if you're not religious, express authentic gratitude for your blessings. Remember the themes of the many proclamations you have heard. Acknowledgement of a supreme being. Appreciation of the blessings we enjoy, including life, liberty, and prosperity. We need to educate ourselves and others. The essentialness of repentance and prayer. The necessity of asking divine providence to intervene in our lives for the better the need to secure our nation from harm and to support our troops and allies, and the wisdom to put aside time to acknowledge the deeper things in life. There is plenty of fodder there for a deeper thanksgiving. One simple idea is to have each person at the dinner table express at least one reason why they are grateful. I've taken up the tradition, much to the chagrin of my kids, of reading a President's Thanksgiving proclamation, usually Washington or Lincoln, before we eat. It takes just a couple of minutes, but really drives home what the holiday is all about. Or if you'd rather just listen, have your family and friends listen to parts of the proclamations from this podcast. Just cue it up and play it. It's all there for the taking. And don't forget the Detroit Lions. Seriously, America is the greatest nation in world history. And personally, I believe that divine providence and intervention has had a great deal to do with it. And humility, prayer, fasting, and thanksgivings have a serious role in maintaining our freedoms and liberties. When we cease being humble and grateful and become arrogant and ungrateful, we are on the road to our demise. Some key takeaways from this episode. The idea of gratitude and giving thanks is an ancient concept for mankind and expressly elevated in the Bible. Days of Thanksgiving were originally commemorated in the English colonies in Virginia and Massachusetts, with the English dissenters, the pilgrims, having the most influential celebrations. In the colonial era, Thanksgiving celebrations were centered on particular events and circumstances and accordingly happened at different times. As Americans united against British tyranny, they made continental-wide proclamations through the Continental Congress, but again tied to specific events and times. President George Washington issued the first two Thanksgiving proclamations under the Constitution, and Adams and Madison did the same. Jefferson refused, and after Madison, Thanksgiving was proclaimed by the states, but not by the president, until Lincoln. Sarah Hale's drive to create a uniform nationwide celebration was embraced by Lincoln and his successors, and it became firmly fixed to the fourth Thursday of November until FDR. Feast, running, football, parades, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and Giving Tuesday all flow from this powerful day of gratitude. Patriots, Revive the spirit of Thanksgiving this year and all years by praying, expressing gratitude, perhaps even reading a proclamation out loud, or listening to select portions of this podcast. The future of the nation depends on it. Please join us next time for our next regular episode when we continue our exploration of the grievances of the Declaration of Independence, in particular the following, quote, He has endeavored to prevent the population of these states For that purpose, obstructing the laws of naturalization of foreigners, refusing to pass others to encourage their migration hither, and raising the conditions of new appropriation of lands. He has obstructed the administration of justice by refusing his assent to laws for establishing judiciary powers. He has made judges dependent on his will alone for the tenure of their offices and the amount and payment of their salaries. He has erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out their substance, unquote. My fellow patriots, thank you for listening, and Happy Thanksgiving. Until next time, God bless you, and God bless America. Some key takeaways from this episode. The idea of gratitude and giving thanks is an ancient concept for mankind and expressly elevated in the Bible. Days of Thanksgiving were originally commemorated in the English colonies in Virginia and Massachusetts, with the English dissenters, the Pilgrims, having the most influential celebrations. In the colonial era, Thanksgiving celebrations were centered on particular events and circumstances and accordingly happened at different times. As Americans united against British tyranny, they made continental-wide proclamations through the Continental Congress, but again tied to specific events and times. President George Washington issued the first two Thanksgiving proclamations under the Constitution, and Adams and Madison did the same. Jefferson refused, and after Madison, Thanksgiving was proclaimed by the states, but not by the president, until Lincoln. Sarah Josephia Hale's drive to create a uniform, nationwide celebration was embraced by Lincoln and his successors, and it became firmly fixed to the fourth Thursday of November under FDR. Feast? Running? Football parades, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and Giving Tuesday all flow from this powerful day of gratitude. Patriots revive the spirit of Thanksgiving this year and all years by praying, expressing gratitude, and perhaps even reading a proclamation out loud or listening to select portions of this podcast. The future of our nation depends on it. Please join us next time for our next regular episode when we continue our exploration of Article One of the Federal Constitution. In the interim. Happy Thanksgiving. My fellow patriots, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless you, and God bless America.
2: Thank you, our fellow patriots, for listening. Please subscribe to our podcast and rate us. That is, if you're going to give us those five golden stars, we can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and many other platforms. You can also find much more at patriotweek.org, which includes videos, lesson plans, TV episodes, and many other goodies. Patriot Week is celebrated every year from September 11th, the anniversary of the terrorist attacks, through September 17th, the anniversary of the signing of the Constitution. It has been recognized by the U.S. Senate and many states. Patriot Week was started by then-10-year-old Leah Warren when she pounded on the table and demanded a new celebration of America. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and on Instagram, or reach out directly at mwarren at patriotweek.org. Also consider Judge Warren's book, America's Survival Guide, How to Stop America's Impending Suicide by Reclaiming Our First Principles and History, by visiting americasurvivalguide.com, Amazon, or any other online retailer. Until next time, God bless you and God bless America.